Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses, verses 1 through 11. And so, friends, listen. This is God's word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of Christ. So we've been looking at Matthew's gospel, and the central message of the entire gospel, of all 28 chapters, and we're beginning to see it now, the central message of this gospel is the king is here. The king is here. Jesus is God's king, and he's come so that we can experience God's blessings and so that we can become a blessing to others. This is the message of the gospel. And as we've looked at this, we've seen that Jesus is God with us. So he's God's king, but he's also God in the flesh. He is the one who brings God's presence We've seen that he has come to give us a fresh start. He gives us a chance to start over from scratch. We can wipe the slate of the past clean and we can move forward having been cleansed. We also saw that he's come to identify with us, that he loves us so much that he's willing to say, yeah, these are my people, even in our worst times. This is God's king. And we saw last week that at his baptism, Jesus was crowned king, where where the spirit descended and rested upon him, and he was declared to be the son of God. And as king, he brings an end to judgment, and he he brings the beginning of a renewed world. Well, to bring about this new world, in order for Jesus to bring an end to judgment and to bring renewal to the earth, Jesus has to do battle with evil. Jesus needs to battle evil. There is powerful evil in our world. And to renew the world, Jesus has to confront evil and overcome it. 
he's got to push back the power of evil in the world. And so in verse one, the spirit that rested on Jesus now leads Jesus into the wilderness for battle. He leads Jesus into the wilderness was a dry area, it was a desert. It was a desert area out from the towns. And Jesus prepared for this battle by fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You see that in verse 2? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, get this, right? 40 days. You know what that means? That means if if you were going to do what Jesus did, and from this point on, you were going to go without food for 40 days, this means that you wouldn't eat until January 28th. No lunch, no dinner, no breakfast, no snacks, no food until January 28th. Now, what is fasting? Let's talk about that just for a second. Um, The purpose of fasting is communion with God. Okay? Fasting is designed to help you commune with God. It's to deepen your relationship with him. Okay, in the Bible, fasting is done in times of great sorrow and great urgency. Okay, fasting is, it's an add-on to our prayers for when we are convinced that only God can do what we think needs to be done. That's when you see people fast. That's when you fast. And here's the idea. Food, like at the core, what food is, is it's strength. Right? Food gives our bodies strength. And so when you fast, when you go without food, what you're saying is, God, I don't have the strength to make this happen. You're saying, God, I'm going to deprive myself of my strength because, God, I need you to be strong. Does that make sense? That's what fasting is. That's what, it's doing. that's what it does. And that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was making himself weak so that God's power in him would be strong. Jesus is saying, God, I can't do this without your power. If you don't work in this, I will not be successful. And it's interesting because Jesus actually passes this practice on to us. Later in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, Jesus says, watch and pray so that you don't give in to temptation. Okay, and what he's saying is there's times where when temptation's coming, you can actually prepare to meet it. You watch and you pray so that you're alert, so that you're prepared for the battle. And so as Jesus does battle with evil, we're going to learn from him how to do battle with evil in our own lives, okay? And so we're going to see this really in three points. So let me give you the first point. Um, The first point is the enemy, the enemy with whom we do battle, okay? Jesus, from this passage, the Bible, Christianity believes that the devil and demons are real. Okay, not everybody believes that, not everybody thinks that, Some people feel like even hearing the idea of a devil um, is superstitious, it's silly, it's what children believe. Well, Jesus believes that the devil is real. 
we have this account because Jesus relayed it to his disciples. There was nobody else out there with Jesus. And the Bible teaches that the devil is a personal being. Okay, the devil was an angel, but he rebelled against God because of arrogance and pride. There are things that you can pick up, little windows. The Bible doesn't really talk about the fall of Satan so much, um, but it describes what happened because of the fall of the devil. And when the devil rebelled, he persuaded one-third of the other angels to go along with him in his rebellion against God, and these other angels became what we call demons. And the devil and his host, his army, has declared war on God. The devil is seeking to amass power for himself on earth so that he can dethrone God and take over. Now, you might think that's silly, but I think if you were to look at the world, it's working. What the devil is doing is working. The Bible even acknowledges it. The Bible says that the devil is the God of this world. That folks who don't believe in Jesus have the devil as their God. The Bible says that the devil is the ruler of non-Christians. The Bible says that the devil blinds non-Christians so that they cannot see the truth. He's called the prince of the power of the air. Relating to how he tempts us. And to me, when I think about this, there is a healthy fear that develops in me when I acknowledge what the Bible says about the devil because the Bible teaches that the devil is not just about trying to get you to do bad stuff. Okay, you think about like pitchfork and horns and a tail, right? The sort of comic view of the devil. Well, the devil's not just out there to try to get you to do stuff that you shouldn't do. The devil is out for followers, The devil's desire is that you would follow him and his ways because he is amassing a kingdom and his desire is to overthrow the kingdom of God and to destroy it in every way he possibly can. And he thinks he's going to win. He honestly thinks that he is going to win. I think... Not only looking at what the Bible says is important, but I think if you understand and believe in the existence of the devil, it helps you account for the reality of your experience. There's things that happen in our lives that you find really difficult to explain unless you believe, unless you understand that the devil is real. The Bible says that really there's three things that cause us to struggle um, with doing the wrong thing. Um, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's how it calls, that's what it, what it describes. The world, this is sort of the culture around us, the, the things that go on around us. You know, uh, the, the world would be like the philosophy of the way of life that, that opposes God. So the idea of if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad, right? That is, a, that is part of the world system that tempts us to do what's wrong. The idea that, you know what, in your workplace, it's normal to cut corners. It's normal to cheat a little bit. It's normal to lie. And so it's okay if you do that. The normalcy of the environment in the workplace tempts us to go along with it. 
tries to press us into its mold. All right, then we have the flesh. The flesh, we have, this is our physical bodies. We have desires that come out from within us. There are things that we want. You know, again, when you think about the workplace, um, we've got desires to want wrong things, right? And these desires tempt us. You know, we don't want to be held accountable. We have a desire to be able to do whatever we want to do, and so we will try to avoid accountability. We'll try to skirt issues with our boss or with our peers. We will lie because we want approval. We don't want disapproval. And these desires that come from within us, these desires for approval, these desires for, um, for satisfaction, these desires for ease, um, these things tempt us so that we'll do things to make ourselves look better than we really are, right? And so the flesh from within us comes desires that tempt us. James 1.13 says that uh, we are tempted when we are carried away and enticed by evil desires. These things come from inside. So we have something outside, something inside. And then the third thing the Bible talks about is the devil. And I think I'm going to offer you an interpretation of your experience that I think will make more sense of what you experience. You know, have you ever had the experience where something radically evil came into your mind or came into your thoughts, came into your heart, that was just like from out of nowhere? Like, have you ever been shocked, like absolutely shocked about something that you've done or something that you've thought about doing? I mean, you can be minding your own business Right? or doing something even that's good. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you feel this overwhelming desire to be evil to someone else or to get away with something because you think you can. And it just sort of comes on you out of nowhere. The Bible would say, well, that is either a satanic or a demonic temptation. These things are part of our normal experience, and I think we're hard-pressed to account for the reality of our lives if we don't believe in the devil and, and demons. Now, you might, different people have different views on, on the demonic. You might think I'm crazy, but, I mean, here at Harbor, we've actually seen demonic manifestations. Um, we've seen overt, I've personally experienced demonic attack where a demonic presence will come upon me and either offer me I mean where a very surreal but real experience of being offered something if I will just go along with like I'll give you what you want if you just let me in we've seen people who have been oppressed by demons Um, we've prayed for exorcisms for people at Harbor. It doesn't happen all the time, um, but it does happen. We have seen overt manifestations of the devil and of demonic activity. Um, I think normally the devil stays quieter and much more subtle. It's actually one of his best schemes is to stay subtle. Um, I remember watching, um, was it Devil's Advocate? with Al Pacino, 
Um, and Al Pacino was the devil, and he was the he was a lawyer, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> not that you know, but he just happened to be. Um, and, but he said, I got into law. He actually talked about that. I got into law because if in law, we get access to everything. We get access to government. We get access to, to trade. We get access to, in, in every area of life. Anyway, so, but at one point, he's coaching. He's mentoring uh, this, other, this young upcoming lawyer. And the young upcoming lawyer doesn't know, he's, doesn't know he's the devil. But he says, you know what the key to my success is? They never, ever see me coming. They never ever see me coming. And so normally the devil is much is, is, is subtle. And we'll see some of this as we look in. But the point here is the devil is alive and real. And that's why Jesus was sent into the desert to do battle with the devil. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to be the one who would bring an end to exile, to release us from bondage. And in order to save sinners, he has to overcome the one who has the power of sin, who holds us sometimes in his clutches. And so that's why Jesus goes out. And this brings us to our second point. Our second point is the attack. So we've seen the enemy. Let's look at the attack. The attack. What we see here is in this temptation, there's three ways that the devil tempts Jesus. And in the first way, the temptation is the temptation of entitlement. Okay, it's the temptation of entitlement. That's this first one. Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, because he was hungry, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What's the devil saying? The devil's saying, if you are the son of God, there's no way on earth you should be hungry. You're the son of God. What are you doing hungry? You have the approval of God. It's interesting that the devil actually quotes God. This is what he always does. In chapter 3, uh, what we saw right after, uh, in verse 17, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The devil just jumps on that and says, okay, fine. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. The devil's saying, you deserve this. You don't belong hungry. You are the son of God. And the devil is trying to communicate to Jesus, you know what, you deserve this. You deserve bread. I think there's even a picture here. You know, Jesus fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Well, Israel in the Old Testament was in the desert for 40 years. And so Jesus is bringing a fulfillment to these things. And if you'll remember, like what did God provide Israel in the wilderness every day for 40 years? He provided manna. The bread from heaven. I mean, so there's some subtlety here with the devil. The devil's saying, look, hey, Israel had it in the Old Testament. God provided it for them. How much more for you? Jesus, you deserve this. You don't bother being hungry. 
And it's interesting because it could be, too, that the devil knows the power of fasting. And the devil wants to end Jesus' fast. Jesus, you don't need the strength of God in your life. You can do it. You can do it on your own. And it's this entitlement mentality. Anybody ever experienced that? Oh, come on. You don't need to be suffering like this. Like, do you know how successful you are? Do you know how long you've waited? Do you know this is so unfair? You don't deserve to be treated this way. The devil continues, continues to tempt us in this way. The lie is entitlement. And you are entitled. It's interesting because in the life of Jesus, there are times when he will feed people, right? We're going to see this later in Matthew. He feeds 5,000 people men and their families at one point. He feeds 4,000 men and their families in another time, right? And so this is clearly something Jesus could do. This is clearly something that at some points God wants him to do. And yet it's interesting here because what we see is that Jesus is willing to do this for others, but does not use his power for himself. In this passage, um, in verse 3, the devil is called the tempter. And this is how he appeals to us. He tempts us. He asks us questions sometimes that make us feel dumb if we don't agree with him. You know, come on. Really? If you are the son of God, then you should do this. Kind of reminds me of Genesis 3. Has God really said that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Really? Is that what he said? And it's not. <laughs> but the devil doesn't, I mean, the devil said, I mean, this is what he does to us. And he lies to us. He tempts us. His chief weapon is deceit and temptation. And all of his temptations take the truth and they distort it. The devil tries to convince you that God's not good, that God's not trustworthy, and that God is not out for you. He's not in your corner. And so if you're struggling with those things today, I'm hoping that you can see that what's happened is that you have believed some of the lies of the devil. So he starts with entitlement. He goes on and, and he addresses the issue of approval. Verse 5, he took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is just a real high point, you know, 100 feet up or more. Um, and he says to Jesus, again, if you are the son of God, again, that challenge, um, throw yourself down for it is written. And now the devil's quoting the Bible. The devil's saying, look, do this because it says in the Bible that you should. He says, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
And so the idea here is the devil's saying, look, jump off, Jesus. Throw yourself off. Because the Bible says you won't hit the ground. The Bible says that God will provide angels to catch you. And your foot won't even strike against a stone. And so in some ways, the approval thing here, the devil's saying, look, if you're the son of God, prove it. Prove it. Here's a Bible verse. Let's see if it comes true in your life. You say you're the son of God. You claim to be the Messiah. Let's see. Some people have thought that um, that the devil did this, not necessarily even in a vision, but put him up there. um, And so that there were even crowds around the temple at the time. And that what the devil was telling Jesus was, look, and if you do this, they're going to love you. If you jump off and the angels catch you and rest you down, there will be no doubt in anyone's mind that you are the son of God. And so if you want their approval, if you want to you want to fast track to have them believe in you, do it. I think it's interesting here. Um The devil does the same thing to us today. Sometimes it's not even the devil. Sometimes it's people in our lives, right? Oh, you say you believe in God? Well, prove it. Or they'll say, you know what? Or you'll be tempted to say, you know, if you do this, then people will love you more. Look, if you just cut this corner, if you're on a team in the office, and everybody wants to do the wrong thing, you don't want to stand out from that. They're not going to like you. But, in fact, you'll have an opportunity to build relationships with them. Instead of standing a, you know, off on the side and presenting yourself as like, oh, I'm holier than you are. I'm clean. You're dirty. Right? But instead, no, no, no. If you do this, you'll be one of them. They'll love you. In this passage, the devil is called the devil four different times. Verses 1, verse 5, verse 8, verse 11. The word devil means slanderer or accuser. And that's how he works. He slanders you. He insults you. He accuses you falsely. He disparages and demeans you. You know that voice that's never satisfied? That voice that makes you feel like no matter what you do, you're awful. You're never good enough. It's one of his primary tactics. And he always uses bits of the truth in his accusations. So it makes it tough to say, no, 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 you're wrong. Because, well, all right, yeah, you're right. I did give in to that temptation for the 628th time. Or more than that. But this is what he does. The slanderer, the accuser, tries to gain power over you by insulting and demeaning you. 
He's like an abuser in a relationship. Let's talk about that afterwards. That's a different, different entirely. Different entirely. Different entirely. The other, the other image that came to mind as I was thinking about how the, the demeaning, disparaging acts of the devil is a pimp. Is a pimp. Someone who flatters just enough to suck you in and then turns on you so that you think that this is what you deserve. This is how the slanderer works in your life. And when you know what he does, it can help you to identify what he does so that you know how to respond. The last temptation that he gives, so we've seen entitlement, we've seen the approval, is ease. Ease. E-A-S-E. This is the last temptation. He takes him up on to a very high mountain in verse 8. Showed him all the kings of the world and all their glory. And he says, all these I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. Boy. What the devil is doing here is brilliant. Because the devil knows that he is the God of this world. He knows he's the one in control of the majority of the nations in the world at that time. The devil also knows that Jesus has come to be the king of the world. Jesus has come to be the Messiah, and the Messiah will reign over the entire earth. All the nations will come and bow to him. The devil knows that. The devil also knows that Jesus has come in, and that, that part of the calling of being the Messiah is a call to suffer. The pathway for Jesus to becoming the one who is ruler over all the kings of the world is the path of suffering. And so the devil has all these ideas in his head. He's got them all worked out. And he says, Jesus, I will give you what you want. I will give you what you have come to do and give you what you've come to be. I will give you what you've come to get. And I will do it for you for free. If you go my route, you won't have to suffer at all. Do you understand that? The devil's saying, look, you've got this road, the Via Dolorosa, the the road of suffering that marks out the pathway for the Messiah so that you could be king over all of the world. There's another way. Jesus, we can do this another way. I will give you these things and you won't have to suffer a bit. You'll just need to acknowledge that I am the one that's ultimately in control. He says, just bow down and worship me. 
This is exactly the tactic that Satan used in the garden with Adam and Eve. He said, take the fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You want to be like God? You want to have a relationship with him? Hey, I'll deliver it. God knows if you eat that, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want that. No, 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 this is a better way. Don't deprive yourself. Suffering, man, suffering is not... In fact, don't you realize that people who suffer are under God's curse? Suffering can't be the right way. If you're suffering, it means you're out of God's will. If the road before you is one that marks, is marked by suffering, that can't be God's will. God wants to bless you. God wants to fill your life with every blessing. Don't you realize that suffering is for those who are disobedient? So how in the world could that be the right way to go? Jesus, come this way. No suffering. Just glory. Do you feel the weight of that? This is how he acts. The bummer is that for us in our lives to say no to temptation is to say yes to suffering. You just got to understand that. If you want to be in this fight and you want to win, if you want to resist temptation in your life, you need to recognize that temptation is an invitation to ease to avoid the conflict, to avoid the, the dealing with the problem, right? To avoid the hard commitments, to, to avoid doing the hard thing. And so if you're going to resist the temptation in your life, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. If you want to follow Jesus, your life is going to be difficult. I'd write that down. If you want to follow Jesus, your life is going to be difficult. The only one who promises a life of ease is the devil, and he's lying. Because you go down that route, he is not a happy master. You want to talk about a pimp? You want to talk about an abusive relationship? Follow him, and you'll find out what that's like. Because the minute you follow after him, the minute you do what he tells you to do, he turns on you. He turns on you. And the tempter becomes the accuser. Oh, I can't believe what you did. Oh, oh, God. And you call, you, wh- where do you get off doing? And you're like, what? You were, what? Huh? I mean, Don't you feel that way? Oh, man, it seems like such a good idea at the time. Good grief, it seems like it was so right. And now I feel awful inside. It's because he just turns on you, jumps on you, because that's how he gets control of you. And if you worship him by following his ways, by giving in to his temptation, that is what you end up in. interesting the holy spirit led jesus into this the holy spirit is given to us 
not so that we would have a life of ease, but so that we would know God and be a part of the battle. That we'd have strength for the fight. This brings us to our third point. We've seen the enemy, we've seen the attack. Third is the power. Is the power to win the battle. In every one of these situations, Jesus responds with the word of God. Every time, verse 4, he answered, it is written. Verse 7, again, it is written. Verse 10, for it is written. What this meant was that every step of the way in his life, God's word was Jesus' strength. And you will find as you commit yourself to God's word that the Bible reveals both God's will and his face. The Bible tells you what God wants, how he thinks, what his will is for you. But the Bible also reveals the person who uttered the words that are in the Bible. That's what it does. That's what it's for. The Bible reveals God's his ways and his face. It, it fills you. The Bible fills you with God's presence. Two verses on that. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit, singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And then Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, right? And so for math majors, the transitive property of equality says, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. The point I'm making is that if you want to be filled with the presence of God, you let the word of God dwell in you richly, which means you learn the Bible. You learn what God has to say you devote yourself to this book. That's what Jesus did for the first 30 years of his life. Right? I think Jesus worked hard to memorize the scriptures so that when the time came, he got power from the book. And we see this in the first temptation. Turn these stones to bread. Jesus says, you know what? The Bible says that life is more than food. Life is more than food. Jesus says, you know what real life is? It's knowing God. If you want to be strong, if you want to be sustained, you need to know God. He says this is eternal life, that they know you, the only, the living and true God. Jesus says in John 4, 34, he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. As you know God's word, as you put it into practice in your life, you will feel the power of God. Because what happens is, I mean, he says in this passage from Deuteronomy, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth 
of God. You get power, strength, and encouragement. Where did Jesus get all the patience that he needed to deal with the issues of his life? He got this patience by spending time with God and with his word. And when I think about this, when I think about the Bible, it's important to know God's word and his face. Okay, God's word and his face. You know God's word. God's word is like what he's recorded in the past that continues to speak to us today. But when you realize that there is a personal God who uttered the words, then you can connect to him. You can see his face as he utters those same words. And so Jesus wasn't just remembering verses that would speak to that particular situation. Jesus was invoking the presence of God so that God would join him in this meeting between him and the devil. And when God shows up, Jesus gets strong. And that's how it works. If you're struggling because you feel entitled, then you can let, if you pray to God, like I imagine God looking at me and saying, you know what? You don't need this to live. What you really need is me. And you have me. We have this relationship and I love you. I care about you. My face shines upon you because you're my daughter. You're my son. That's what that word, that's the face that that word communicates to me. And there's power in that. Jesus says, man, entitled? Are you kidding? Like, I'll take God over food any day of the week. This food lasts but a short time, but God lasts forever. I think it's interesting, you know, Jesus saying, like, I don't need food. I was sustained by God for 40 days and 40 nights. You're going to offer me some stones? But it's because he was communing with God that he could respond that way. How many years has God's word helped you in your life? In how many instances has God's word been sufficient for you? Boy, be ready with that answer. You know what? God's word has sustained me and given me strength for the last six months, for a year, for five, for ten years. God's word has kept me going, kept me encouraged, kept me fulfilled. Stones? With the approval temptation, Jesus I mean, this one's kind of simple. You know, throw off and prove to everybody that you're the son of God. They'll love you for it. Jesus' response is, like, I don't need to put God to the test. God has proven himself to me already. I know him. I know God. I spend time with him. 
I know he cares about me. I know he is enough for me. I don't need to ask him to prove himself again. And again, it's God's word, but it's God's face. Like Jesus looks up with this knowing look to the father and says, man, you've already proven yourself. I don't need their approval. That's a way, if, if they're going to get, they're going to approve you in a different way, but it's not with me putting you on the block and saying, let's judge God. And for that third one, with ease, with ease, we got to realize, I think it, it helps us understand it a lot better if we recognize that Satan was offering, the devil was offering Jesus a covenant. He was saying, look, come into cahoots with me. I'll give you everything you want without the suffering. At that point, Jesus says, he quotes God's word again from Deuteronomy. Um, he says, I worship no one but God. I worship no one but God. You are a liar. And I will not serve you. And in that, Jesus is saying yes to all of the suffering. Picture this. Jesus was offered, I mean, again, it was a lie, but Jesus was offered the temptation to get everything he wanted without suffering. That's that path. On this path is being misunderstood. It's being, it's being betrayed. It's being beaten. It's being crucified. It's dying. It's being humiliated. And Jesus said yes to all of that because of his heavenly father. Because for him, Jesus would take that and a relationship with God than anything else. Friends, this is an invitation for us. I mean, to be devoted to God's word to, to be able to learn the truths that Jesus learned so that we could not just quote them when it's appropriate, but so that we could have a relationship with God that would make us feel the way Jesus felt. And that's where it comes down. I mean, this is what it is for us because you need to know it, and then you need to know him, the author of it. Don't be content just to know what the Bible says, but get to a place where you could imagine the God who says it and how he says it. Because then the word becomes this conduit that reminds you of a relationship that you have with God. And in that, there's power. That's when God comes into the middle of your temptation and you think, man, I don't want this. God, I want you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you have shown us the way. And Lord, I pray that for all of us, that we would love you more than we love ourselves. I pray, Lord, that you would help each one of us as we read your word to be able to connect with you 
to understand that there's a relationship behind every verse in the Bible and that we're not done until we've connected with you, until we've worshiped you in our study. Jesus, you are worth more than any sense of entitlement. You are worth more. Your approval means more than anybody else's approval. And Lord, with honest fear and trepidation, we would say yes to suffering if it means that we can know you. I remember, Lord, what the Apostle Paul said when he bared his heart and he said, I just want to know you and the power of your suffering so that through that I might experience the resurrection from the dead. Lord, help us. Help us to let your word dwell in us richly. And as we do that, Lord, deepen our relationship with you so that we'd know that you are real. And Jesus, I pray for those who are here and don't yet believe in you, would you draw them in? Would you help set them free from the clutches of the devil? Would you help them stop giving into temptation by your strength to come running to you because it's the cross, Lord. It's where you died that that power of sin was broken. Lord, lead us all into you, into your presence. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.